Hello and welcome to this ACE Oncocast, recorded in Budapest on the occasion of the European Multidisciplinary Congress on Neurological Cancers. This podcast series is entitled Expert Review, Immunotherapy in Neurothelial Cancer, When, Why and How. My name is Rob Coleman and I'm a medical oncologist at the University of Sheffield, United Kingdom, and I'm delighted to be joined today by two leading urothelial cancer experts, Dr. Tom Poles from the St. Bart's Cancer Centre in London and Dr. Aristotelis Bamias from the University of Athens in Greece. Welcome to both of you and thank you for joining me today. In today's ACE Oncocast, our clinical experts will be discussing second-line and salvage treatments for metastatic urothelial cancer. Clearly, treatment depends on many factors, including what's been given before and how the patient's responded to that. Um, But perhaps you could start by outlining the currently available treatments and how you integrate that into different patient subsets. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I think the the challenge that we face now um, for the majority of patients is those individuals whose cancers have grown despite first-line chemotherapy and maintenance of Alimab or second-line immune therapy. We think that maintenance of Alimab is the right approach. But the majority of patients who we now see where we're saying, well, what do we do for refractory disease? We look at those patients whose cancers have progressed after those two treatments. It can be complicated, caused by neoadjuvant therapy and other bits and pieces. And and actually, there is a spectrum of neo. So if you progress within a year of neoadjuvant therapy, that's considered to be metastatic and it can be complicated. But the reality is the challenge, irrespective of how you get there, is those patients with advanced disease who have previously been exposed to chemotherapy, platinum-based chemotherapy and immune therapy. Going back in time, we used to give single-agent taxanes commonly, or vinflunin. They were largely ineffective with response rates of 10%. The vinflunin study never really beat best supportive care, hands down. So it shows how difficult that group of patients is to treat. Two really important targets. Um, the most important was level 1A evidence is in fortumabidotin. Um, that's an antibody drug conjugate. It's targeting nectin 4, MMAE is the payload. It's got a 40% response rate in phase 1, phase 2, and phase 3 in this setting. It was um, tested in a big randomized phase 3 study with a 30% reduction in the risk of death compared to chemotherapy. Response rates again of 40%. Um, a 40% reduction in the risk of progression as well. So a really positive randomised phase 3 study. Adverse event profile, skin toxicity, which can be troublesome in the first two cycles of toxicity. Um, Peripheral neuropathy, which is relevant as well, um, particularly as time goes by. And there's some fatigue associated with and some hyperglycemia. But it is a new standard of care, really exciting, um, because it's a new class of drug we didn't have before and is now being tested in other settings in urothelial cancer. In the, United, in the United States of America, there's a drug called sasotuzumab govitecan, which is also an antibody drug conjugate. That drug targets trope 2, um, and that has SN38 as the payload, which is a type of is 1, and that drug doesn't have randomised data yet, a 27% response rate, looks perhaps slightly less active than in fortunate for what it's worth on phase 2 indirect comparisons, which I know I shouldn't do. And then that's the ADC story, um, and then, of course, the FGFR story with erdafitinib. So for those patients who have um, FGFR DNA alterations, actually there are many different ways of measuring FGFR, and I'm not going to go through them right now because I haven't got that long, but it is complicated. But erdafitinib uses a PCR technique, 
And for those patients, it's about 30% of patients who have FGFR alterations. Erdofitinib has a response rate of, again, about 40%. Um, and duration of response, about five months. OS, again, about 11 months in that single-arm trial. It's a single-arm trial with many shortcomings associated with that because there might be prognostic implications of FGFR. And so we're waiting for the Thor trial, which is a randomized phase three study, which is just doing exactly what, well, pretty much exactly what EV302 did, uh, 301 did, which is comparing erdofitinib with standard treatment in individuals with FGFR alterations. Thank you. And Aris, how do you personally manage patients who are pro- progressing on maintenance immunotherapy? Yes, certainly we are asking for um, the FGFR3 alterations. Uh, it's um, the percentage in Greece, we haven't found 30% of um, alteration in this population is lower. Probably there is a difference across different countries. But um, uh, I think because there is a chance of a good response, we should always look for that. So we do that. And uh, obviously, um, after chemo and immunotherapy failure, uh, antibody drug conjugates are the obvious um, um, choices. Um, there is a problem of availability outside the context of clinical trials, and that's, that has to be sorted out fairly quickly because patients need these sort of options. Um, so I think that second or third line uh, treatment in these patients, although it it was the, 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 the big progress um, with the advent of modern immunotherapy. Now that immunotherapy has moved mm-hmm. in the first line, um, again, we are in need of um, uh, more effective choices, more choices, and also the existing choices to become available. Sure. And are there any other... Uh, combinations of interest that you're aware of that are being developed? I mean, Tom's mentioned quite a few options, but are there any others that...? Um, there, there was a study uh, we participated with uh, atezolizumab as a backbone, right. and then every, every other um, available novel agent was combined to that. Um, um, so... Uh, I don't know, I, I don't think the results were very, very promising in that study. Um, now we have another study with Sazituzumab uh, Govitekan. Um, so these are the combinations pretty much um, trying to see whether adding another drug can overcome resistance, let's say, to immunotherapy, for example. Another, another unknown factor is what re-challenge with chemotherapy might offer to these patients. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a difficult one because obviously, as Tom uh, said, uh, many of these patients are, are not eligible for any active, actually, anti-cancer therapy. Mm-hmm. So um, we need to work again on, 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 on this group of patients. Thank you. And finally, Tom, um, I want you to look into your crystal ball and look five, ten years hence, what, what, what are the big unanswered questions that you hope will be answered over the next few years? Uh, in bladder cancer specifically. <laughs> um, <sighs> look, I think there's going to be a massive change, genuinely. 
I do think we're going to stop using chemotherapy in the current way we're using it, which is going to be huge because we're doing it for 40 years. I think we're so entrenched in it that we can't see beyond that. But I think there is life beyond chemotherapy. I think in that perioperative space, that bladder cancer, which historically neoadjuvant chemotherapy cystectomy, I think we're going to be giving immune therapy with antibody drug conjugates. I think we're going to be shrinking the cancer down. I think we're going to be using circulating biomarkers to define which patients need a cystectomy. I don't think we're going to be performing cystectomy on everyone. I think we're going to have bladder sparing approaches. I think we're going to be monitoring the patients, but I don't think we're going to be using maybe, uh, um, radiology. I think we're going to use radiology as a way of identifying where the cancer is, not telling us whether or not the cancer's come back. I think we're going to have new classes of targeted drugs, but we're also, I hope, going to have a new generation of immune therapies. I'm excited about cellular therapies. Um, and um, I, what I'd love to see is neoadjuvant triplets. EMUC, this, we're, we're presenting the first neoadjuvant triplet um, uh, of Juvalimab, Tremolimumab, so PDL1, CHA4, and Infortumab Vidotin, neoadjuvant triplets, to try and really get a massive response in the tumour. And we hope, then use other techniques to identify which patients need further therapy and monitor those patients in the future. The problem with metastatic disease, Ari, is it's hard to cure those patients. Bladder cancer is not an easy cancer to cure. I don't think, if we pitch our tent exclusively there, we're not going to make the progress we need to make. We need to make this much earlier. And really, by the time you've got visceral metastasis, it's challenging. So let's focus on those node patients, those T2, T3, T4 patients, and then cure that population. And I think that's what we're going to do. Exciting future and lots of optimism. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Aris, for a very interesting discussion. And thank you all for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ace Oncology.